something I've had on my mind recently, um, even before Brian asked me to speak, was the sovereignty of God. All over the Bible, it seems like practically every chapter, you see his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence described everywhere. He's outside of time, yet he operates within time. And his sovereignty is a natural consequence of these things. And we'll see it all over our scripture this evening. Our reading is going to be Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 31. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of a background. Israel to the north has fallen. And though written during the 7th century B.C., it was written for Babylonian captives in the 6th century B.C. About 400 years prior to this, God's people were at their strongest under Solomon. Now they're a nation under judgment due to worshiping other gods, false idols. They needed to be reminded that God was still in control and that it's he and he alone that rules over the nations. So let's read in verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span? and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To, who then, to whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? They bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. 
But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time to come together and for giving me the honor of reading from your word tonight. I pray that you be with me, help me to speak clearly, and help me to give your word the due honor that it deserves. And it's in your son Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 12, where it says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span? John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Isaiah gives us an anthropomorphic example to help us even, if just a little bit, to understand how big and powerful our God is. Going from there, it says, comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and hill, the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. This means God knows exactly how many grains of dust, how many grains of dirt there are all over the world. How heavy all the mountains and hills and various landmarks around the world are. And as Brian always says, God's order is never out of order. He never mismanages. He never makes a mistake. He has it all under control, even when all we seem to be able to see is chaos all around us. Verse 13 and 14. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him understanding. We're asked seven rapid-fire questions, almost sarcastically, like, who taught him, who showed him knowledge? The obvious answer, if he knows the grains of dust on the earth, how heavy everything is, is no one. His wisdom and preeminence are here. Nobody taught him. Nobody came before him. Nobody instructed him in anything he's ever done or ever will do. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. He ta- Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. It talks of the nations. The word means barely coming down, barely a bead of condensation dripping down the edge of a bucket. Small dust here, uh, the New American Standard and the Legacy Standard Bible have it translated as a speck of dust. So even if every nation all over the world joined together, all those specks of dust that God knows the amount of all over the world, all the nations joined together are no more than one of those specks of dust in in comparison to him. And it would have absolutely no effect on his sovereign will. He taketh up the isles as a very little thing. The Greek here means to lift. Think of all the things that you pick up that you might lift on a daily basis just to go about your normal lives and you don't even think about it. That's how it is with God. He can simply pick them up, the islands, the mountains, anything he pleases and move them around like pieces on a chessboard to accomplish his good and perfect will. Verse 16. In Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Lebanon, known for its forests, full of trees that can grow up to 100, 130 feet tall. We know they were used to build palaces for David, Solomon, and at this time, the first temple was the only one that had been built, but it was used in construction of both temples. 
And this is obviously, like I said, from the point of view of 6th century B.C. captives. So imagine being in captivity of a hostile foreign nation for decades at this point. You've, you've abandoned God. You've turned from him. And you start reading one of the greatest prophets in the history of your nation, writing of Lebanon. They must have started thinking of all these great things in the past, the temples, the, the blessings they had under Solomon when they were actually doing what they were supposed to do. What it means when it says it's not sufficient to burn nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. You could take all those trees, chop them down. You could lay out an altar built with all that wood. You could take all the beasts and lay them on top. And it wouldn't be sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God that they had built up for themselves. Just like now when we sin against God, all we do is store up wrath for ourselves just like they did. But this points to what we already know thanks to having the fullness of the Bible. Is that those sacrifices were just a shadow of the only sacrifice that could ever take that wrath away from sinning against the Almighty God, which was Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Vanity here can mean formless or empty space, nothingness, or a place of chaos. All the nations, all the kingdoms, all the rulers all over the world are as nothing or like here empty space it's like they never even existed in comparison to God that's how we should see the world and the things of the world they should mean nothing to us the nations then just as now had a very low view of God and an extremely high view of themselves they were filled with pride and arrogance you can see that especially just all around our country today all the evil things that are celebrated and the way people thumb their nose at God. Nobody, nobody else in history has ever had their name used as a cuss word except our Savior. Every time we go into the world or we leave this building on a Sunday or a Wednesday, we need to humble ourselves. We need to get low. We need to exalt Christ up above everything else that we come into contact with because none of it serves him. We just, in the last few verses, we read about God being above all the nations. Isaiah then asks in verse 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? He's rebuking those that have put so much time and effort into worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Idol worship was all over the place, and as we know, worshiping false gods and false idols and all kinds of sexual perversion and things like that is what brought them down. And again, that seems to kind of model what's going on in our country today, especially in the world in general, but definitely in our country. Verses 19 and 20. The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. So impoverished sticks out here. They, if they had so little they couldn't afford gold or silver or any of these other luxuries, they would put everything they had together to create one from something as common as wood. That's how little they thought of God. They would turn from him 
and go to the least valuable thing and create a god out of it. As far as technology and the way society runs and everything else, we may not be as crude as the Israelites or the ancient world, but I'd, I'd say we were every bit as bad, if not worse. John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Some worship the church, idolize celebrities. Others bow at the altar of materialism, getting the newest and best phone, car, obsessed with making more and more money. Perverse sexual lifestyles, they're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to redefine these things that God has set in place. Some people will prioritize their own spouses above the Lord. They will even create a Jesus to suit their own sinful desires, one that doesn't correct them, one that doesn't tell them what they're doing is wrong, one that's okay with everything. You've heard, you might have heard people say, well, Jesus understands me. You've seen the commercial, he gets us. Twenty-five. There's a study done by George Barna in January 2023. 25% of all U.S. adults believe in an absolute moral truth. I mean, 75% don't even believe in absolute morality. 35% believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. Six, I mean, 65% believe you can get there in some way other than Jesus Christ. You've heard it misquoted, God is love. Well, he is. But he hates sin, and that's part of his perfect love. He has to be just. He has to punish sin. The world will do anything to worship anybody other than God. And what really offends people is what John 14, 6 says, when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. That offends people because they want to do something. They want to do anything to get there without him. Any thought in which God is not 100% sovereign over the situation means an idol has been created. Now a God has been created that does not exist. This brings us to verse 21. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? Isaiah is practically screaming, telling them, you ought to know this. This should be easier than 1 plus 1 equals 2 to them. Told from the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. God immediately spoke and everything came into existence. God's going all the way to the beginning to remind them of where they came from, what happened, and who he is and how powerful he is. They had been told these things, they should know this. Isaiah is trying to wake them up. Verse 22, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Isaiah 66, 1 says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. It is God and God alone that rules and reigns above the earth. He's so magnificent, so exalted, that all people on the face of this planet or as grasshoppers. It, that phrase alone reminds me of Numbers 13.33 when the spies had come back from the promised land and they were talking to the sons of Anak and they said, to them, we are as grasshoppers. Turning from God like they did means the same thing it does now. Anytime we sin, anytime anybody sins, they're trying to usurp God and put themselves on his throne. 
thinking that we know better, we have a better plan. You can't thwart God's plan. You can't make him change course. And as Jonah found out, you certainly can't run from him. God's sovereign will is always going to be accomplished. And he's holding everything together. And he'll keep the heavens stretched out until the day he rolls them back like a scroll and returns. Verse 23. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Vanity is used the exact same way. You could read it as, he maketh the judges of the earth as empty space, nothingness. God, through the words of Isaiah, says it is he that makes the rulers rise and fall, and he that has the ability to humble them. Specifically, he will bring them to nothing. You think of all the ancient civilizations that we marvel at, the Aztec, the Mayans. When you think of American greatness, you think of the generation right after World War II, and it all came, it all ended, and you can see how we're progressively going worse. We're in Hosea on Wednesday nights, but we had been in Daniel, and the easiest example is Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, where it talks of he would live in the field, the fields for seven years, he'd eat grass like the cows, and his nails would grow like a bird's claws. Let's look ahead and read Daniel 2, verse 21. <clears throat> Daniel 2, verse 21. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. From the very beginning until modern times, pagan king or king of Israel, believer or not, God will use anybody and everybody exactly how he wills it. Now let's go to Isaiah 46, and we're going to look at 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And then look especially at verse 11. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. The ravenous bird it talks about. It's a reference to Cyrus and how God would use him to bring Israel back into their land and allow them to rebuild Jerusalem. So along with the prophecy that it has there that ends up coming true and then the words, I have spoken it, I'll bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it, that also proves one thing that we know, which is that every word in the Bible is absolutely true. That the Bible is God-breathed and without error. Verse 24. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them. And they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. These princes and judges from verse 23, the rulers of the world, they've hardly started to rule. Their kingdoms and empires barely started. And with no effort at all, God will bring them down. The imagery of the phrase, he shall blow, could not have been lost on the captives. Remember, they're in captivity. 
they've lost all hope, they've turned from God. But Isaiah has been painting this picture in their minds about the God that rules and reigns, the same one they'd turn their backs on. And I think this phrase is getting to them. The Hebrew here is Noshaf. And the only other time it's used like this is in Exodus 15.10, where it talks about he, shall, he will also blow upon them. And it talks about the waters of the Red Sea covering Pharaoh and his armies. It was a praise to God for delivering them from Pharaoh. He worked through Pharaoh just like he worked through Cyrus. And it doesn't matter who's in charge of this country. They're put there in charge by God, whether it be for blessing or whether it be for cursing. It doesn't matter. They're all, in, they're all there because God allowed them to be. Back in Isaiah 40, then these rulers, these princes, these judges... They, after all this, they're simply, as First Peter one twenty four says, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But just like we learned in verse 11 of Isaiah 46, 1 Peter one twenty five says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. He was in control then, and he remains in control now. Verse 25, and look at who's speaking. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? This is the same challenge from verse 18, but it's coming from the mouth of God himself. After all he's been saying through Isaiah in these last 14 verses, it should be obvious, no. We know nobody is above God, nobody's even close to him, no matter how much they try to be. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Astronomers have estimated in the vastness of the Milky Way galaxy alone there are 400 billion stars. And beyond that, there's 125 billion galaxies, they think, totaling 10 billion trillion stars. It's a mind-boggling number because we typically don't think of numbers that high. But what's even more humbling is that God knows the exact number of those stars and he knows the name of every single one of them and he commands them to move. R.C. Sproul once said, there are no rogue molecules. All these pagan religions of the ancient days and even now a lot of people think they can tell the future and all kinds of other things by the way the stars are positioned in the sky. Again, they're worshiping the creation, not the creator. God not only created all the stars, all the molecules in the entirety of creation, but his steady hand is continually controlling and preserving it all. And if he ever stopped even for a second, he's holding it together so perfectly that we would all cease to exist. Verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. They're speaking as if God had abandoned them. And you could almost, as sinful humans, we could almost see why they would think that. Exodus 17.3 says... 
And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Can you think of any situation you might have been in in your entire life, where you, whether you were a believer at the time or not, you went through something so horrible that you felt like you had been abandoned by God or you thought that he wasn't working fast enough for you? After me and Rachel had been married for just over two years, we finally had something happen that we had been praying for. We'd gotten pregnant. We were super excited. And then you think of New Year's as new beginnings, as a fresh start on things. And that happened to be the day that we felt like everything was taken from us. We found out that we had lost the baby New Year's morning. And... As I watched, as I felt like our whole world was being destroyed in front of us, I sat there and cried out to God out loud inside my head. It took me two years almost to to kind of understand what was going on. And I ended up realizing that God wasn't taking our child from us. He was giving them to us for all eternity. And I realized that that one thing that happened was going to be the very event that two years later when we came to Cornerstone that it would drive me to the foot of the cross and it would drive me to salvation. And without that, who knows what would have happened, but the thing is God knows and God had this all planned out beforehand. He didn't leave his people abandoned in the desert. He didn't forget about them in Babylon. He didn't forget about them in the Holocaust. He didn't forget about them on October 7th. And he has never forgotten his church. He will never leave you alone. Verse 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. In between the challenge in verse 21, and it's being repeated here in verse 28. Isaiah spoke into God's power and authority over creation, including the king's rulers, his ability to number the stars and to know their names. Everything he's spoken to doesn't randomly exist or randomly happen. It all happens, good or bad, to us. It only happens because God allows it, and he never runs out of the energy to hold it all together. Through Isaiah, for the first 17 verses, God has declared his sovereignty by going all the way to the beginning that we saw in verse 21 and reminding them that it was he alone that created everything. We've seen his power over creation, nations, and their rulers. And you can feel, as you read through this, you can feel the anticipation. You can feel it building up to a climax in these last three verses. 29 and 30. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. He's telling his people he has indeed not forgotten them. They cannot make it through their present sufferings by trusting in themselves and relying on their own strength, and we can't do it either. He wants them to turn to him and trust in him. It says, 
He gives power to the faint, the weary, the fatigued. It mentions the youth and the young men shall utterly fall. It doesn't matter young or old. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. Everybody, everybody will fall without trusting in the Lord. He sees your sufferings. He sees your trials. But as bad as that is, we have to come to the point where we realize that he went through so much more for us. And he wants more for us. He wants us to trust him. Verse 31. Sometimes one of the most powerful words in the Bible starts off verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall, they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Now we've been reading about the Israelites being in captivity to another nation. We're certainly not. But I don't know what anybody here or watching this is dealing with tonight. Whether it be family issues, health problems, grief over the loss of a child, a parent, a close family member, a friend. Or if you're just looking around on the news or on Facebook or something and you see how wicked and evil our society's gotten and how far they are from God. You see all this and you wonder how far it's got to go before God stops it. You think of the days of Noah, how utterly evil and twisted everything was and he flooded the whole earth. And we don't know exactly what was going on, but we certainly know how evil our day is today. Trust me, he has not stopped ruling and reigning. He's still sitting on the throne. If you're a believer, my challenge to you is to draw close to the God you serve. If you're going through something, or if you're not, and you end up going through something, and you wonder what's going on, draw close to the God you serve. Dive deep into his word that doesn't fail us. And remember Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We're the ecclesia, the called out ones. We need to be different. We're going to go through trials where we don't want to get up, where we don't want to keep going, but we have to for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what Christ did for us. But if you're here and watching this, and you're not a believer. The book of Isaiah reveals both God's plan for judgment and his plan for salvation. Isaiah 6.3 reveals he's holy, 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 and he can't allow sin to go unpunished. We read in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin's death. Death and punishment is what awaits anybody that dies under the wrath of God. And it's an eternity in hell, separated forever from the goodness of God. However, the end of that verse said, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's also a God of mercy, grace, and compassion. And 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to to come to this earth to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect, sinless life. Nobody led him to the cross. It didn't happen accidentally. 
He marched his way to the cross, knowing exactly what he was doing. He saw every one of us. He'd be tortured with a cat of nine tails beforehand, stripped naked. He was beaten, mocked. They took the symbol of the curse, a crown of thorns, and jammed it onto his head. Then he suffered a brutal, painful, humiliating death, the worst form of execution ever perfected by the very people that were perpetrating it on him. He was despised by those he came to save who just a week earlier were welcoming him into the very city he was killed in. He was abandoned by his friends, Peter, who later on we read is such a strong follower of Christ, abandoned him, he ran away, denied him three times. And then something happened that we'll probably never understand on this side of eternity. He took every single sin on him, and it was so severe that God the Father turned his back on his one and only son. The first and only time it's ever happened, because he couldn't look on all the sin that we had committed. But God, Christ wasn't done. He didn't just die for us. On the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and death. He didn't just die for some faceless mass of humanity. He hung there and died for every one of us, knowing every sin we'd ever commit, knowing the things we would like, the things that would bug us. He knew that we would all be here right now and that people that would be watching it online that may need to hear it. And he died for every individual person that would repent and put their faith and trust in him. Christ says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If this is you, if you feel Jesus, if you feel God tugging on your heart and you know you're a sinner and you know you need to repent of your sins, the Bible commands you to repent. Don't delay because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you to preach your word. And thank you for everybody being so attentive and listening. Um, I know that it says your word won't return to you void. So whether anybody hears about it now or whether we find out in eternity, I pray that any, somebody that needed to hear this would be affected by your word. pray that you'd... Help us all to remember how sovereign and how in control of every single event in history you are and how even if something happens to us and we're going through something, we can remember that we serve a God who's greater and more powerful than all the evil schemes of the devil. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ, holy and exalted name that I pray. Amen. Thank you.